welcome to this episode of Curating Crypto, where we focus on covering the art and culture scene surrounding the crypto space. And now, here's your host, Pavel Villalobos. Hello, everyone. This is Pavel, your host of Curating Crypto. Today's guest is a musician, programmer, entrepreneur, and co-founder of SuperRare.co. SuperRare is a social platform for digital art built on Ethereum. Launched in early 2018, SuperRare is an internet-native social network for art and expression, coupled with a 24-7 marketplace where you can buy, sell, and make trades. Without further ado, let's welcome Jonathan Perkins to the show. Hey, Jonathan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Javo. Uh, really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. Super excited to have you here. But uh, first and foremost, happy birthday. I've heard that you turned 21 today. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be great to, uh, to be able to go down and uh, get a beer later at the bar finally. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, this is a great birthday present being, uh, being here on the podcast. This is awesome. Excellent, man. Looking forward to this conversation. So Jonathan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know that you're a musician and a programmer. Why don't you walk us through this? Um, sure. Yeah. So I kind of have a, um, a varied background, uh, kind of spanning, um, from the creative side, uh, to the technology side in college, I studied digital media with a focus on music recording. So my goal there was to, to learn like studio engineering, like how to make records essentially. Cause I'm a huge, um, music nut and sort of record collector. And so I was just kind of following my, my passion there. I am a, you know, I'm a musician as a hobbyist. I never had aspirations to be like a you know, classically trained or, or, or full-time uh, musician, but I've always played in bands and stuff. I'm a drummer. Um, that led me to essentially, you know, get a college education in, in digital media. And, you know, it was kind of like in this uh, broadcast, like film, TV, recording uh, environment with like a heavy focus on digital to me, that was really fascinating, you know, combine, like combining, it was, you know, in the 2000s, so combining uh, new forms of expression and distribution digitally. Um, and, uh, but it also, um, you know, it was kind of like, well, when I graduated, um, it became apparent that there was also like <laughs> huge downsides or at least huge downsides to the repercussions of the digital revolution, particularly in digital um, creators and, uh, you know, most music is, uh, was digital at that point. So essentially like, you know, experiencing things like the bottom dropping out of uh, the most recording budgets for like the recording studios that I was interning or working in and, uh, you know, things like file sharing and digital recording getting cheaper. So anyway, like kind of in like the huge swirl of these um, rapid changes brought, you know, brought on by the digital revolution. So that kind of like, you know, shaped my career trajectory. I ended up, you know, working as a recording engineer for a while, but then got more into software development and more interested in entrepreneurship, which was also always a a focus of mine. Um, And I'm living in San Francisco at the time, so it's kind of contagious to, you know, want to um, build an app and start something, uh, you know, kind of in that environment. So along the way, I learned to code and eventually moved to New York and worked as a software engineer for a while doing uh, various things like working the startup and then worked as a consultant. Um, And uh, yeah, so I guess that background uh, coupled with along the way, you know, around the time I was graduating college as well, there was, um, you know, the, the financial crisis and just really watched our whole banking industry and, and economy brought to its knees um, simultaneously as, uh, you know, Bitcoin and, and uh, crypto technology uh, emerges. So um, all that kind of, you know, was the backdrop to, you know, eventually uh, launching SuperRare a couple of years ago uh, with a couple of my um, cousins. Uh, John and Charles. Yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of like a nutshell of like my interests and background and, and uh, how, how I got started in the past few years. Super cool. And not to digress too much, but I think you mentioned something that's of relevance in terms of the music industry, where you were part of this transformation where it essentially moved to digital and the experience moved to an online experience for consumption and playback. I was talking to a friend of mine as his band was touring around 
uh, the U.S. and they stopped in San Francisco. And we're talking about specifically this where you could use subscription services such as Spotify to basically play back the records. And we're talking about how much it amounts to in terms of playbacks. And they're a fairly large band. And it didn't amount to as much as I would assume. Uh, and we're also talking about the labels and how you sign with labels and the contracts. Before it was more around exclusivity and how many albums you would release with a specific label. And now it's more about the touring, about the merchandising. So you essentially saw how technology disrupted an industry and now it's become something different where I think it has a lot of similarities with art, where it's moving to digital if it hasn't already, where I think there's an opportunity for us to change the way that we experience and consume art. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, the whole economics of the music industry have uh, been revolutionized in the past few decades. You know, nothing happens overnight. But, you know, I grew up um, you know, went to high school in the 90s and 2000s, went to college in the 2000s. Like I was buying tapes and CDs and records as a kid. I, I grew up in a rural area in Maine and I would drive like an hour to the nearest record store like when I got my paycheck, like when I was in high school and I'd spend all my money on buying CDs and listen to them on the way home, you know. And I, you know, bought hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of compact discs and uh, tapes and, and records. And now, you know, I was not an early adopter to streaming, but now fast forward to now, of course, I use like Spotify and have used other streaming services and stuff. So, and I don't even own a CD player anymore. <laughs> so, um, you can see how that, uh, obviously changed the ability, you know, the, just the whole structure, the ability for bands to rely on, uh, income from recordings and the ability for these monolithic uh, record labels. I mean, there there was certainly not, you know, it was not a great situation like in the 80s and 90s. There were certainly problems with, with record labels and whatnot. But uh, I think it was, a, you know, an organic shift brought on by technology that has brought sweeping change to the way that, you know, recording artists have to shift their priorities more to touring and merchandise and stuff like you said. Um, and I think that is a b really big parallel what's happening now. I mean, it's, it's continuing to be spurred by, uh, you know, lower cost computing, cheaper computing, uh, and just the, um, the improvement of the internet infrastructure over time and now crypto. Um, so yeah, I, I think there is a, a interesting parallel now with, uh, with that. And, you know, that's, that's partly why I got so excited with the opportunity to start something like super rare. Um, because I, you know, I wasn't old enough in the nineties to, to start like an internet company when that, you know, that opportunity first arose. So I, I see this as for somebody with an entrepreneurial, um, drive, you know, it, it's a, it's a really, uh, fascinating and, and awesome, uh, time to, to be building stuff. Absolutely, man. And Jonathan, could you walk us through what super rare is keeping those that are new to tokenized art in mind and also the relation between super rare and Pixura? So, um, yeah, just in a nutshell, like, uh, our company is called Pixura. And so it's kind of like our consulting company. That's the, the entity that we have. That's our startup name that we have incorporated. Almost an, our entire focus is our, um, user facing app. Um, so it's, a uh, it's an Ethereum based social marketplace. Um, so it's kind of like part social network, part marketplace. And uh, yeah, so it's essentially a, a platform um, for digital creators uh, to issue tokenized artworks uh, and sell them in a marketplace to digital collectors. And so we've, we've really built it with, you know, an experimental mindset. It, it started from very humble beginnings and it's, uh, it's, so we launched it in early 2018. 2018, perfect timing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We we launched uh, in the beginning of this, uh, you know, crazy bear market cycle for crypto, which has been uh, interesting to say the least. Um, but yeah, it's it's just been, um, you know, we, we weren't even sure it would work or take off or people would care. But it's been really heartening and fascinating and amazing to see a, a really strong community uh, form around super rare and, and yeah, humbling as well. And, um, yeah, it's, it's going strong and it, it's really like the most fun thing to work on, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And, um, yeah, just, uh, really like looking forward to, to continue, continue growing it. Very cool. And how do you explain digital tokenized art to somebody that's not in the space and 
What do you tell your parents that you do for a living? Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it is quite fascinating, and uh, I mean, it's. I think what you know. One of the reasons I was so excited to come on the podcast is I think that at least like a sizable percentage of your listeners, um, since this is a, a creative uh, focused crypto podcast, uh, you know, understand tokenized art and and have have heard of it. Um, but yeah, for for a lot of people who have maybe heard of Bitcoin or or not, you know. First, just like building on a blockchain is like a is like an unknown topic, and then building something like even more weird, like uh, like an art community on top of that is just like you know uh, I get a lot of weird looks, um, but it, it's actually good. You know, it's it it's an opportunity to sort of discuss the importance of some of the fundamentals like digital scarcity um, and. Uh, you know, like, like decentralization and also to, you know, to talk about the limits of those things. But yeah, I mean, my, <laughs> my parents, I don't know if they, you know, even tell their friends what my company does. They probably just maybe say I have like a, a software uh, startup or something like that. And that, you know, that's what I say, depending on, uh, you know, who I'm talking to. But yeah, it's, it's actually pretty interesting, you know, um, having a, you know, having a creative mindset, create a background for myself and I'm interested in the technology, but also the, the community aspect of it. I think it is, you know, at, at its heart, super rare is a place for expression. It's a place to appreciate art. It's a new, um, way to monetize your craft as an artist. It's a new way to connect with people in this global sort of community. So those things, um, exist outside of, you know, the, like the technology. So, uh, I think there's, there's always ways to like, get people intrigued. And then if they ask more about like, oh, well, why are you building that? And then we're like, oh, well, there's this new opportunity that we're building on digital scarcity and these things have value. And then you can kind of go down that rabbit hole when, when you want to. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're exactly right. I would say about 30% of the listeners of the podcast are the creatives themselves. One of the things that I started to do is to preview who's going to be on the episode, because sometimes what makes it into the podcast or the topics of conversation comes from the artists themselves asking questions. And this was a good example of that. I know we've exchanged a few messages on it. Uh, I don't know if you've listened even peripherally to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to spread the participants, although they're all artists, they work on different mediums. One of the questions that come across often from the painters, for example, is why do I need to tokenize my art, right? If you think about the painters, one of the worst things that can happen to them is that somebody gets a high-resolution version of their uh, painting, and now they're competing with prints from China that are lower quality and one-twelfth of the price of the original uh, print that they're selling, right? So why is it important for creatives to start looking into tokenizing art? Um, yeah, that's, that's a, a great question. Or there's a, there's a few topics in there, I think. Yeah. So super rare, um, is, is, uh, essentially digital art only, uh, at least for the time being. And, and, uh, you know, s since we launched it. And so, you know, essentially what that means is, uh, art that's created, uh, purely digitally or, um, at least, um, you know, say, you know, photograph or other media, like mixed media capture digitally and then, you know, manipulated to the point where the artist feels that the art itself is this digital outcome. And this is not like a capture of, of the artwork that lives in a, in a physical form. Um, and so that's, you know, we made that decision uh, around Super Rare. Um, partly just because there's a lot of complexity already in what we're doing with digital, but it's a simplification. It, we wanted to, we, we didn't want to be one of those crypto projects that promises the whole world and, you know, spends five years and never actually launches something. We're, like we, we are a small self-funded team. One of our primary goals was to, uh, just get something cool out there, people get people using it and, uh, you know, t take it from there. So one of the ways that we saw that we could do things, uh, in a simpler fashion was to, uh, just focus on, on the digital, uh, art. So, um, on super rare, the collectible digital art, which is a token on Ethereum an NFT, um, that is the art. So that's essentially that's, it's created by the artist, uh, with their own private keys on the blockchain. 
And uh, it's the artist's intent that if you own that single edition artwork, um, then you, you know, it's the equivalent of owning like a one of one uh, print or something. So you get non, you know, non-commercial collectible, you know, rights as a, as a collector. Um, so, you know, I, not to at all discount the question of, you know, okay, I have a painting, what can I do? There's, I've heard about all of this, these new opportunities for, for provenance and for monetization and for sales, uh, you know, blockchain, you know, there's, there's tons of, uh, you know, blog posts and, and lectures and, and ideas relating to the broader art market for, uh, as it, as it relates to, to blockchain. And I think there's tons of, you know, interesting stuff being built there. I think there's tons of ideas. I think it's a challenge. Well, if, if you think about it, like, okay, we're going to make a immutable link between this painting and this token so that whoever, you know, owns the painting can prove its authenticity by the token. I mean, I think that's a, uh, if you set really high expectations around that, I think that's an incredibly challenging thing to do because there's a physical thing and a digital thing. And you can see, you know, if, if a thief comes and steals one or the other, then they're separate now. And then the system doesn't work anymore. So if you think about it like that, I think that it's like a, a very, very hard thing. And I think it would take, uh, you know, maybe an organizational uh, cooperation to come up with standards and, you know, code, I think, uh, there's an organization called Codex Protocol who has been doing a lot of work, like integrating with like auction houses and, you know, coming up with more like standards of, of like record keeping and provenance for, for physical items, um, like, but like tracked on the, on chain from another angle, you know, what, one thing we see on super rare is artists like, you know, I, I listened to your great interview with Coldy. He's super active on, uh, on super rare. And, you know, he's a mixed media artist. He does lots of physical stuff. He does like LED work and lenticular prints. Um, and then he, he'll create, you know, related stuff, taking those concepts or even some of the imagery and make new works digitally out of it. And then we have a whole gamut, you know, we have artists on super rare that, take, you know, oil paintings and just heavily process them and turn them more into like living digital animated works. So I think there's a way to create new uh, digital works out of physical works. Um, so, you know, I, th I think that's that's more in the realm of, of what, what we're working on. And yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I, th I think the, the, the short answer for me would be I think we're all just still figuring this out. Um, I think there are teams working on stickers that can can go on physical artworks, uh, but I think it's going to be an ongoing conversation. I think we need input from from artists and from people who deal more in, in traditional physical art and sort of all sides of the market. And I think it's probably something we're going to just you know see play out over the the next like several years. Absolutely. And I talk to some of the artists on a regular basis, and I know for a fact that at least a handful of them are using these digital platforms to test some of the concepts and ideas that they have and produce digital pieces to then see if some of these have the potential to become physical pieces. Uh, interesting. I also know that some are thinking about potentially using uh, these platforms to extend the experience of what they produce physically, right? And this is only thanks to experimentation. A good example is uh, Mattia Coutini, which is an artist on Super Rare. Mm -hmm. I talk to him on a regular basis. He's a super cool guy. And I happened to buy one of his pieces. And he immediately reached out to me on Telegram. And he sent me some images of a very similar piece he was producing. But he also gave me a song playlist related to the art piece. And I thought that was super cool. And this is only as a result of experimentation. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Mattia is a, a really good example of that. And I think, you know, I think the, ex the experimentation is key. Like um, he's, uh, well, for those not, not familiar with, with Mattia, he's an Italian artist that has um, a background primarily in, he like, he makes these awesome, like huge, large format, like rubber stamps, like handmade, like rubber stamp making. And he makes like, uh, you know, really big, real, like really varied variety of, um, of, of art with it. And he's been doing that for, for years. And I, I'm, I'm not sure if he was uh, tinkering with digital stuff uh, prior to um, tokenized um, artworks or not. But, but yeah, essentially just like 
um, just pouring tons of creativity and experimentation onto this very traditional craft that, that he's a master of um, has just been so cool to, to watch, watch play out. Um, and yeah, so I, I think, you know, looping back to your, to your last question too, I think if you think about this stuff as like, uh, like expecting that somebody has the, the answers and like, okay, how does all this work? Um, is, you know, probably the wrong mindset. I think we need to just all have like, uh, an experimental mindset and be like, okay, let's try stuff and see if it works and, you know, see how the market responds and see, you know, see how we can push this evolving thing forward. Um, because this is like a, a wide, a wide open sandbox. I mean, blockchain hasn't even been around for that long. You know, the crypto art scene is, is super fascinating right now. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's got a lot of momentum, but it's also very new and there's just so much room for, uh, for experimentation. And I think keeping that mindset is, uh, is important. I completely agree. And as the space evolves, I'm sure there's going to be some unforeseen complexities and challenges that are going to be interesting. And the only way to solve these is via collaboration. I can't remember if I mentioned this on Lucho's episode or Coley's episode, but I remember a specific instance of an artist uh, basically minting or tokenizing art in different platforms. And the ones that solved it uh, were the platforms themselves and quickly jumped into addressing the issue. This is a good example of how collaboration across the different participants just produces a better experience. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, and it's a, it's a small space. Like, you know, our team is is friends and uh, with and, and knows pretty much all the other, uh, you know, tokenized art platforms out there. And, and we all talk and... Uh, and that sort of thing. So yeah, there's there's a lot of collaboration. There's a there's a term that um, maybe people know. I hadn't heard it before uh, entering this space, but uh, coopetition. So it's like co- you know cooperative competition. Um, so <laughs> I think that that nicely sums up uh, the sort of um, creative uh, crypto space. Absolutely. And now from the other side, why should I collect digital art? There's two components to this, I think. One is the slow ramp up in appreciation um, of digital art in comparison to traditional. There was one, uh, one of my previous episode guests that mentioned that um, he produces really cool digital pieces. And sometimes he gets people asking, hey man, when, when are you going to paint something as opposed to producing something digital? And that's, that's a tricky situation in itself. The other is, okay, so I, I understand digital art and I understand this is really cool and something that appeals to me. Why should I uh, jump into collecting it now? Yeah, yeah, totally. To the first uh, component, or at least how as I understood it is like, you know, because some people are just like, well, digital is like worthless. Like, the, you know, files are like, I want the real thing or something like that. Um, but, you know, tokenization aside, I think we're still going through the digital revolution and we're still seeing increasingly how um, digital is becoming more real and digital, you know, products and services and objects are, are permeating our lives more and more. And, uh, you know, I'm an optimist, I would, I would argue, to, to the better, um, unless you're getting to, like, surveillance and stuff. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so with, with art, I think that, uh, you know, there's lots of huge advantages with digital art. Like, if you create something digitally, it can be distributed to everyone in the world immediately, you know, for free. Like everyone can see it. Whereas if you uh, have physical artwork, um, sure, you can you can touch it, you can keep it in your room, but no one else sees it, you know, unless you take a digital photo of it and put it on the internet. So there's this uh, superpower that you have if you, if you create digital art or, um, you know, think about distributing it that way. That it, you know, it travels at light speed, it weighs nothing, everyone in the world can see it, can give you feedback on it, and can appreciate it. So I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't, you know, have never really considered digital art as a, um, you know, as an art form. Like, you know, for example, like, my parents probably hadn't before, uh, <laughs> before I started Super Rare. Um, and a lot of, you know, more traditional art people I've talked to. Um, yeah, so, so that's that piece. Uh, so I think there are just like merits to the, the nature of, of digital art that are fascinating and that we're still learning to appreciate. Um, and then, yeah, the, the tokenized piece, um, this is where it, it does take a little bit more thoughtfulness and, and learning for completely new people to the space. And that's in that, that um, 
you know, these tokens can have value. And so, you know, the, the art on super rare and a lot of the other digital collectible, uh, innovation that's happening in the space are ERC 721 tokens on Ethereum. And essentially what that means is it's, it's just a token like a Bitcoin or an ether, except it can have unique data in it. Right. So something can have a name. It can have a token ID. It can say who created it, uh, what date. Um, and so we basically use those technical aspects to create this little like internet artifact, we call, we call it uh, on, on our team or like, like an internet object. And that's something that is uh, truly digitally scarce and truly ownable. And on Super Rare, there, everything is a single edition. So there's, there's only one of each artwork. So only one person can own it. Um, and so then that opens up, uh, you know, all these super interesting possibilities. So um, just like in, with Bitcoin and Ether, the digital scarcity is, uh, is a huge part of it. Like the only reason Bitcoin has value is that it's provably scarce. It's, uh, you know, it's very secure and you can't, take it from somebody unless you have their private keys and all these, all these characteristics apply to, um, to the art. Um, and, uh, yeah, but it's a challenging concept, particularly if you're talking to people who, you know, say also don't think that Bitcoin should have value or like haven't really thought through the concept of, of these tokens being something that, that merit or like really having value. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So, you know, essentially, like if I'm having that conversation with a, a completely new person, I'll, I'll say, sure, the, the file is scarce. Like we're not really dealing with DRM here, digital rights management, um, in the way that Apple tried to do with their iTunes, uh, when they were downloadables. Um, the file is not scarce. Like this is internet art. You're putting the file out there on the internet. It's going to be shared. It's going to be downloaded. Um, and, I think the very nature of internet art is that, you know, the more people see it, the better. Um, but it's the token that has uh, scarcity and it's the token that holds value. And it's uh, on super rare, the artists um, themselves uh, directly create the tokens, literally take their private keys um, and mint a token according to however they see, you know, the artwork, the, the title, the metadata, all that stuff. And they create this, um, you know, permanent digital object on Ethereum and, you know, and launch it into the marketplace. So in a very real way, it's the artist's intent that this is the, um, the artwork, at least in part is, uh, is the token. So it's the image with the token. And if you don't own the token, then you don't own the physical artwork. Um, so that's, you know, it definitely creates for some longer and, and roundabout conversations. Uh, and, you know, as you can imagine, I've had this conversation uh, hundreds of times over the course of a couple of years. Um, but yeah, so I, I think just like kind of stripping it down to, to the fundamentals, like, okay, what is the fundamentally new thing that we have here? It's that we have scarcity on the internet. So it's this, it's this weird dichotomy of, um, a file, you know, a, a beautiful GIF or, or image or video that billi literally billions of people can see on the internet and can be shared and be appreciated and commented on, coupled with uh, extreme scarcity of the actual collectible art as intended by the artist. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that's why we get so excited about the the potential for like this whole new art market. And that's why we've focus on making super rare primarily like a, a social environment. Like you're not buying art in the abstract, you're buying art from somebody, whether it's the artist or whether it's from somebody who's bought the art from the artist. Um, and so, um, you know, and, it, and, and just given the, the macro environment of the internet, like, you know, how do people consume art and media on the internet? How does it, how do things have, value you know it's like you can look at like what are the most watched uh you know videos on youtube um you know what are the most shared things and what do people like most congregate around and then combining that in an environment where people increasingly understand that these this this collectible ownership of of the art um is a thing that has value um it's proven to I mean, even in the little petri dish that is <laughs> the the current uh crypto art 
uh, scene and the super rare marketplace. I mean, it's proven, you know, every single day that, that the art has value, has resale value. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's super fascinating to, to watch it all play out. Absolutely. And you mentioned a couple of things that are worth discussing. So the first one is the technology that we're using now to produce digital art is incredible. It's improved substantially over the last few years. I know that I've shared with you privately some of the stuff that I've been working on myself and transparencies blow me away. Um, reflection of light nowadays is very, very nice, which is something that if I try to produce uh, via any other medium, it's very hard to replicate because it looks very realistic. The second thing is something that Coley mentions every once in a while that I really like where when it comes to digital art, the piece itself, so if you download the GIF or if you download the picture or the image, even if it's high resolution, that's nothing but a marketing piece, right? So for somebody to see, but owning the token or owning the tokenized art is what's important here. So I really, I really like that. And then the last thing that you mentioned there that is very true is how it propagates and propagates quickly by being on online in a digital medium. A good example of that is the episode art that I put together for the podcast. I never intended it for it to be something on its own, but it's, it's created um, a bit of anticipation and something that's been well-received. And, and it's only because a lot of people are able to see it, right? This is only possible because of social media and because the piece is digital and not physical. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, you know, we're 20, 30 years into the modern internet, but it's still the... It's still like ceases. It never ceases to amaze me the the doors you can open with um, with with stuff like that. Just just putting work out on the internet and and really seeing where it's going to stick and and who's going to appreciate it. Um, and then yeah, and then just going back to the the comment you made about Coldy um, or that that he made on the on the podcast. Um, there's a uh, artist duo on on super rare um and you know very active in the in the whole crypto art space called Hackatow, and they're italian as well and um whatever i believe it's the 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 husband sergio who's um always the one like chatting on and telegram and and twitter and whatnot and they always uh, he uses google translate i don't i don't think he has spoken english and i don't have any spoken italian so we communicate you know chatting via google translate and um i think it's like it makes for some like uh, very like wise sounding like almost like zen cone uh like awesome little tidbits um, and I, I always appreciate his writings, but yeah, he had a, he had a tweet once that, that said something along the lines of, um, with crypto art, everybody sees it, but only one owns it. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what, what, what Coldy was saying, but to me that, that really sums it up. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that's always been one of my, my favorite ways to frame it. Very cool. One of the things that I don't think we've discussed is one of the traditional problems in the regular art scene is that we're often bidding millions on pieces by that artist, basically. Uh, and even the modern artists, meaning the ones that produced art in the last 20 to 30 years, uh, may potentially have sold their art for a few hundred dollars initially, and now their art is valued at a much higher rate, and they rarely get a commission back out of these uh, subsequent sales. And I think that's something that you guys do pretty good, because I think part of the future sales of a specific piece always commissions back to the artist. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. So, um, you know, one of the reasons that we're building a blockchain and that we are excited to, um, to be using this, this technology is that it really, like, the smart contracts that you can, you can build even though, you know, Ethereum is still kind of in beta and still like pretty rudimentary and uh, and has some challenges, but you can still do like really amazing stuff like like trustless, you know, escrow, for example. So the marketplace in SuperRare um, is, you know, it is a decentralized exchange. So, you know, the when you place a bid on an artwork, that money doesn't go to our bank account or anything like that. It's held in the smart contract. We can't touch it. Nobody can touch it. But then when it gets accepted... Um, you know, the forces are in motion and the art changes hands and the money changes hands. So it's this kind of magical new, like sort of programmable money. And one of the really, um, 
you know, awesome things that, uh, that you can do with that is create, you know, something like an artist royalty where, um, if a token continues to sell on the secondary market, um, you have an opportunity to, to allocate a percentage. And so, yeah, on, on super air, um, we launched with that concept and with, uh, we recently upgraded our, our smart contracts and the, like the whole system is, is matured, but the way that it currently works is that secondary sales artists get 3% of every, uh, commission. So like you said, if something, if somebody sells something, um, in the future for a vast sum of money, rather than all that money, just going to the collector, um, you know, a percentage of that will, will go to the artist. And, you know, we, uh, we're getting a lot of feedback from, from both sides of the market and, you know, in, in determining these parameters and it's a conversation, but, um, you know, it's essentially like, uh, if you make that commission too high, then that's essentially taking, uh, it's making a disincentive for the collector to sell it, uh, on the platform or, you know, maybe they'll just like go sell it for cash and, you know, like there's, it's not like a completely foolproof thing. Um, but we we've settled around, uh, you know, like a, a reasonably, like a reasonable percentage that would be meaningful uh, for artists to have a continued revenue stream as the artwork continues to sell, but not big enough that it would be like uh, a pain point for a collector, uh, you know, when when considering reselling something. Very cool. So one of the common complaints that I hear whenever I'm talking to artists and collectors is that. There's a ton of artwork coming in to the platforms on a daily basis, and then that it's hard to differentiate between the platforms and what they offer. From your end, what do you guys do at SuperRare to not necessarily contain volume, but maintain a standard in terms of quality as to what comes into the platform? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And certainly, yeah, I certainly agree. Uh, there's lots of stuff flying around. Um, which, you know, I think it's a great thing. I think there's tons of experimentation from entrepreneurs and artists, and we're all just uh, doing a bunch of stuff and, and seeing, what, uh, seeing what, what turns out and feels right. Um, but yeah, on, on Super Rare, so um, it's actually like a, an application process to join Super Rare as a, as a creator. So our team reviews um individuals uh, who submit artworks and submit their portfolio and their social links and who they are you know and uh, and they're assessed like on all these different uh things and but then once they're like given access to be a creator on super rare from there it's not uh there's no more controls so it's like it, then it's just like opening a you know an instagram account and you post kind of whatever you want um with the understanding that it's a place for strictly original digital art so you're not you know we the one of you know the main thing we're trying to prevent um is people you know trying to make money off of other people's work uh we i think the i think the kind of like the bottom falls out of the whole thing if it ceases to be this construct of like okay this is original work these are people putting their works up and, and seeing how, how the market takes it. Um, so that's just a little bit about um, how the, the content like gets, uh, gets in, into Super Rare. And so, you know, we've been trying to really grow it kind of like purposefully, slowly and organically and, and build a community um, that can, you know, can scale at the, at the right speed and, uh, you know, sort of with the right ethos. And it's actually worked uh, remarkably well. Like it's really positive and, uh, we've had very good luck so far with, um, all the art being, uh, you know, original and in my opinion, just like a crazy variety of, of really cool stuff. Um, you know, on the, on the curation side, I, you know, admittedly, uh, it's one of my goals to, um, to make like, uh, just, uh, curated experiences and discoverability, like much better on super. <laughs> I think we have a lot of room to improve, uh, there because it, it can be a bit overwhelming. Um, just, you know, kind of lacking some more categorization and, you know, recommendations and, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, that is one of our, uh, strong focuses in the, ne in the next few months, you know, just like working with the data, like on top of the marketplace and, uh, on top of the application, um, to, to sort of draw new people in, um, kind of in the way that like Spotify, um, you know, sort of like 
gets to know you and, and, you know, will suggest art, you know, artists based on artists you follow, like that sort of thing. I think there's like tons of really cool stuff that we, we have sort of like sketched out in that regard. Um, but you know, on the other hand, um, like I, like I said before, like I see super rare as, as a social network as well. And so, um, I think that, uh, it, you know, part of the solution can just be letting people choose who to follow or not. So, you know, it's like, if you think about like a social network, like, like Instagram or something like that, obviously there's, there's kind of two components. There's, uh, there's like, you know, suggested stuff, like they do everything they can to suggest who to follow and suggest like topics and, and trends and stuff like that. But then it's also, it's ultimately up, up to you who to follow and like, what do you like and what, what do you not like? And so as a, um, you know, I have my own opinions about our art and what is good and what is not, but I totally admit that they're not, uh, you know, that's all subjective. It's not universal and they're probably different than yours and different than the next guys. So, um, you know, I'm less interested in, in being a, a dictator for taste and more interested in creating a platform where if you're into this thing, like if, if you're into this obscure, you know, topic or form of art, then here's how to follow the people, the artists that are, that are doing that. And, and here's how to, you know, assess the value of their works and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's like more of the way that, uh, that I think about like going forward, how to, um, make it a, a, a good experience and, and sort of make surface relevant art for, uh, you know, like a vast, uh, array of different people around the world. Absolutely. And I guess it's part of the experimentation, right? Where in the beginning, you, you had to be more lenient and kind of accept was coming in just to see what's out there. But then as you grow as a community and as a platform, then start making suggestions as to what may appeal to you based on your, uh, either your likes or your abuse or whatever. And then also allow that self-govern portion of it where the user ends up deciding what's appealing to them or not. The other component that I think is pretty interesting here is that there's a lot of creative people that either went to graphic design and to animation because they're creative. And then once they go into graphic design or animation and work for the commercial scene, it's soul crushing. It's in the end, you either lose your style or motivation because you're producing something that's appealing to the customer, but not, may not be best practice or whatever. And, and I can totally relate to this because I used to make music. I know that you're a musician yourself. And I made music because it was interesting and it was appealing and I liked it. But then I found myself making music for indie projects. So it's so really movie scores, which was soul crushing. <laughs> so platforms like yours allows those graphic designers, those with experience with animation to kind of rekindle that love for uh, being creative and seeing what they can produce. Yeah, totally. I mean, there are, uh, you know, there's a, a large percentage of artists on Super Rare that, that have a day job and uh, this is like their, their passion project and it's stuff they'll, you know, stay up till midnight and, uh, you know, create something or tokenize something or, or both. And um, that's been really, um, really cool to see. And just really like, I think that's kind of what has... Um, been a huge um, source of momentum, and you know, like from the from the first day we launched Superera, there was this surprising amount of enthusiasm, and sort of we were like sort of like pulled into existence um, by this uh, you know excitement around around the the possibilities um, with with tokenized art, and um, I think a lot a, a big part of that is you know that's it's kind of unlocking. Uh, or giving new new relevance and new life to these passion projects that uh, digital creators have had, you know, sometimes for years. And it's like, oh my God, all of a sudden there's this new network and this new marketplace I can tap into. And it's, um, yeah, in a lot of cases we've, you know, I've, I've gotten messages from, from people who have just been like, you know, like we actually, there's an artist um, uh, named Lawrence Lee on, on Super Air that, uh, he's in his seventies. He's, he's my mom's age and he's been you know lifelong artist. And he's been, um, he, he told us he's been doing digital art since like the early 1980s. And, uh, just because he's a pioneer and he was like interested in computers and, you know, so before he even had, or before most people even had a personal computer, Lawrence was innovating and, and making digital art. 
And when he first got in touch with us, he was like, I've been doing this shit for decades and now there's a, you know, a, mar a marketplace for it. And so as somebody who he, you know, he's made a career selling paintings and doing gallery, gallery shows and uh, cultivating a collector base. Um, so he immediately saw this as a sort of digital opportunity like that. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a whole gamut, but uh, stories like that um, always just kind of blow my mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm familiar with Lawrence. I think he started in 1979, if I'm not mistaken. I follow him on Twitter and follow his work, so it's pretty interesting. So what has, you mentioned earlier, uh, the play of words of competitive collaboration. So what has surprised you uh, about crypto or the crypto art space in general? Yeah, I mean, I guess I was just like, I guess I'm continually amazed that I get to to operate and you know build in the crypto space, uh, but in a in a creative way, in a like in a creative sector of it. Um, you know, I got I really first fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole in 2013 during that a couple bull markets ago, I guess, um, and really just like read everything I could about the technology and and really kind of uh, became enamored with it and re and really just you know started like investing just like personal money and and you know buying stuff and and you know just like learning through uh like losing money essentially uh, <laughs> um and then but you know like like i have a more creative background and i don't i never like really cared that much about finance and ironically the crypto like being really passionate about uh, crypto and this whole movement has actually gotten me more interested in finance. And like, I, I like read more about traditional finance these days than I ever thought I would. But yeah, I never like made the leap career wise because I was just like, like, what would I do with this? I'm not, a, you know, I'm not a banker. I'm not a currency trader. Uh, you know, like, like how does this fit with my career? Um, but then, you know, Ethereum launched in 2015 and, um, you know, this, the space evolved and yeah, essentially in, in 2017, I was hanging out with my cousins a lot and, uh, really just like, uh, like my cousin and co-founder John, um, had worked at consensus in, in Brooklyn, the Ethereum uh, project. And so really, you know, like increasingly immersed in the space and then, you know, all this stuff started happening with, um, with art and crypto and collectibles, like the crypto punks project launched and, you know, even like the Bells of Genesis cards and the rare Pepe stuff that was happening more on the counterparty and, and Bitcoin blockchain. We just started to really like nerd out and, and read more about this stuff and be like, wait, this is like, this is going to be a thing, you know, like this is this it's super, super early days, but this is going to be a thing. Um, and so then we started going uh, to meetups and organizing meetups and going to, you know, um, conferences and, and uh, just meeting as many people as we could in that sort of weird niche that um, was actually like, I think New York is still to this day is like one of the center points of the, the crossover between crypto and, and art. And I was just blown away by the, the fact that all these other uh, like-minded weirdos were all, you know, also thinking about all this stuff that we were. Um, and it was just such a breath of fresh air to go to meetups and not just have it be like investors who are trying to make a quick buck or, um, you know, do an ICO or, or something like that. But people who really saw this, uh, technology as, you know, maybe a, like meeting artists who, you know, maybe make art about blockchain, or maybe they make art, publish it on the blockchain, or maybe they use the blockchain as, uh, you know, part of the art medium itself, you know, just like this full spectrum of um, creativity. And it, it really like, I think reinforced the idea that artists uh, really help um, push forward any like pretty much like every new technology that comes out. Um, I think artists are like a really important piece of um, helping us understand it, helping us see what the potential of it. And I was just like, you know, like really seeing that come out in full color, um, was, uh, was, was a really cool experience. And, um, I guess like cemented our resolve to, to like start something meaningful in the space. So what do you think needs to happen for millions of people to start collecting digital art? Can tell you that I purposely shared some of the platforms with people outside of the space. 
And I could tell how MetaMask and Trust Wallet were natural barriers where they can just couldn't get past that. Um, are you seeing the same? And what do you think needs to happen for us to overcome this? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent agree uh, with the, the the user experience uh, piece of it. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I guess there's two two pieces to it. Um, there's the conceptual piece and the like actual hands on like like user experience piece of it. Um, and so you know, and like the conceptual piece, I think is it takes time and it takes education and like you know, as somebody building a product, like there's lots of stuff you can do in the, the messaging and like make a little, you know, orientation video or what, whatever it is to like sort of tell the story about why this is important. Like these are digitally scarce objects. But the truth is it, it does take a little bit of time and it takes a little bit of patience and not that's not something that everybody on the internet has. So, you know, I think that over time, you know, the whole crypto and and value holding tokens uh you know it's it's on a steady march it's certainly not gonna gonna go overnight and so i i think that's like one piece of it and then the other piece is just like how do we make the the experience like valuable and fun and engaging and maybe like a little bit addictive for uh for for end users and uh yeah it's still like very early days. Um, most blockchain-based applications are horrible to use. Um, you know, admittedly, the first version of SuperRare fell into that category as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's like that's been really one of our biggest focuses, and and that's where uh, I personally get really excited and and see a lot of value that I can add to the space. Like I'm, you know, kind of a software engineer, product manager uh, type. Um, so that's the main hat that I wear um, at SuperRare, and uh, yeah, so it, it's a challenge because you know we're you're dealing with these crypto assets, and like part of the whole reason it's awesome to have crypto assets is that they're digital items that you truly, truly own, and no one can um, you know uh, no one can take them from you. You know the the company is not going to go out and take your item with you. It's like you really own it. Um, but then it's a huge UX challenge because those people have to learn to manage their private keys. And then that's where, you know, the experience of using like Trust Wallet or MetaMask or, or something comes in. So um, we actually just last month, uh, we had a, a huge upgrade of SuperRare and we integrated with a third party called Fortmatic. Um, so that gives new users an option to um, not use you know, MetaMask or, or something like more intimidating that makes you memorize like a 12-word <laughs> seed phrase or these other like really scary things. Uh, and essentially just sign up like using your cell phone number and your email. So ju it's just like signing up for Venmo or something, which like, you know, hundreds of millions of people have, have done. And it's more of a nor normal, um, you know, user experience uh, for people that, that aren't like Ethereum enthusiasts. Um, so I, th I think that's a huge win and we've gotten feedback uh, f from people there. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're pretty hell bent on, on just like really pushing it forward and, and making it a lot easier, uh, easier and easier to use. And, you know, and, and fun. And like there is kind of a spark of magic to digital assets and, and crypto art. And like uh, we're just trying to like figure out how to, how to make it like easy to use and also just like, as fun as possible and and want people to like get excited when they, you know, when they open the app and, and see what's going on. So Jonathan, is there any advice you would offer to existing artists in the platform and those that are getting into the space? I'm assuming it's easier for you to see what ultimately creates more noise and leads to a successful sale. My experience playing with the platform is that I'm seeing a lot of artists pumping two, three, four pieces of work per day. And I think that this ultimately works against them by devaluing their work where it becomes a bargaining act, right? So if I like a piece or a specific style of work, I no longer have one or two pieces to choose from, but I have nine or 10 where I would rather see these artists work on maybe one or two pieces per week and really focus on delivery and execution. The other thing that I see is some opportunity in terms of consistency, uh, for example, pricing. There's one artist that I really like on Super Rare that is quite successful, 
And I was looking at the other platforms and I saw one of his pieces priced much less than what he currently sells on SuperRare. So I snagged it, right? So why is this consistency important? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's, it's been really interesting to see um, the the market take shape and, you know, what, like what activity happens uh, every day. Um, so I think, I think one important thing is, as you know, as far as like what I've seen sell well or work well or, or resonate well with people is, is kind of having like a consistent style or a consistent brand as an artist. Um, I think that's, uh, I think that's really key to me, like art is telling a story and it's, you know, on the online, if you're checking out an artist and seeing what, you know, seeing what inspires them, seeing what works, like having a cohesive story. So kind of like cohesive, like visual style or, you know, thinking about it in, in that lens, I, I think is, uh, is really important. Um, and then, yeah, with regards to the sort of like, um, the, like, like quantity versus quality, um, debate, um, that's something that I, I think is, uh, is really relevant. And, you know, I mean, like the whole space, the whole thing we're doing here is we're like, we're, uh, you know, we're operating within scarcity. Like that's like the, the whole reason, you know, it's like super rare. There's like this idea of digital rarity or digital scarcity. Um, I think people need to be conscious about flooding the market with, with works like less is more in a lot of cases and having a more careful approach and releasing less artworks um, can lend its uh, can lend more credence to each each piece that that is created. Um, and, you know, to your point, there's tons of experimentation going on. There's lots of people creating stuff on different platforms. Um, but everything's also extremely transparent <laughs> and it's pretty obvious when, uh, when people are doing that. And I think it's a mistake to try to just like, Oh, like there's, you know, think about it. Like, you know, there's money flying around. I gotta like put out a bunch of stuff and, and, uh, maybe some of it will come my way. Like, um, I really do think that like the scarcity is important and, to think about it, you know, think about the long term and, and think about each um, each tokenized work as like an, an important thing and uh, something that 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 can stand on its own in, in the bigger um, piece of the story. Uh, so, yeah, I guess like, you know, br like branding or co cohesive visual style and uh, yeah, just like, um, you know, pay attention to the scarcity and. Uh, and, you know, I would, I would say also just like talk to other artists that are operating the space, uh, see how they think about it, talk to us, talk to your friends that don't understand what you're doing, you know, like, uh, you know, I think forming methods and opinions based on, um, you know, talking with, with uh, everyone else is, is super important because as we said, you know, we're all just experimenting. Absolutely. So Jonathan, what's next for Super Rare? I know that we touched a little bit on this earlier. How can people follow you and get in touch with you? Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, so we're, um, you know, our, our primary, uh, I guess, two focuses are, like I mentioned, um, just increasing the, you know, discoverability and you know curatedness suggestiveness of um of inspiration and, and of art for for new users and um you know just kind of trying to continually improve that experience um and then also just the uh like the usability of it so we're working on a, a mobile app so i'm really excited about that like the idea is that you, it's just something you can you know pull up anytime you know, see what's going on in the activity feed, like look at, you know, make, make a trade, follow uh, a new artist, um, just like really easy, lightweight experience. Um, so we're, we're super ex ex inspired to be designing that. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're a small and scrappy team, but we've got like a pretty, pretty aggressive roadmap. So, but yeah, um, as far as how to get a, get a hold of us, um, you can follow Super Rare on Twitter. It's uh, at SuperRare underscore CO. 
and um, and join our Telegram too. Uh, if you go to superair.co, um, that's the that's the website. That's where all the magic happens. And then uh, down at the footer, there's a link to join our Telegram, and uh, that's also where the magic happens. So, <laughs> um, yeah, jump in, join the community, um, chat with artists and collectors, and uh, feel free to ask uh, questions to to us uh, directly there as well. Excellent. And one of the things that I would say is that you guys are super active on both Twitter and Telegram. So it's really cool to see. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's really key. Um, you know, the whole reason that that SuperRare exists is because uh, there's a really strong community around it. And uh, just, you know, keeping the conversation going and, and keeping the energy uh, public around it, I think is, uh, is key. And it's, it's, you know, it's also like one of the most fun parts about it, too. So Jonathan, it's been a great pleasure meeting you. It's been great spending the time recording this episode with you, more so because today is your birthday. I want to say that this episode generated a lot of anticipation. I typically get some communications pre-recording the episode where people are asking some basic things about the participant and potentially some areas they wanted to cover. But this time it was the artists that were reaching out and they wanted to make sure that we covered specific topics so that's in my opinion that speaks volumes in terms of the interest of tokenizing art and moving into a digital space so in terms of super just continue doing what you guys are doing i think you have a pretty solid product you have a pretty solid community so i think in the end you're going to be all right absolutely Kaba. oh thanks so much for uh, for having me on this has uh, been a great birthday present and uh yeah uh, look forward to, to keeping in touch thanks man appreciate it all right thanks for listening to this episode of Curating Crypto. If you liked this episode, please help us by sharing, rating, and subscribing. You can also stay in touch by following us on Twitter at Curating Crypto, where we will be sharing additional information and links related to the topics we've covered in these sessions.